Hello, and welcome to episode 25 of the Venture Games Podcast. I'm Chris Quaidu, and today I'm excited to introduce my next guest, Mike Pappas, CEO and co-founder at Modulate, a company looking to solve one of gaming's longest standing challenges, moderation. What's going on, Mike? Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Sure. Thanks for joining me. So for those listeners who are less familiar with you and what you're up to, can you just walk through your professional background, specifically before your time at Modulate? Sure. It's definitely a, a little bit of an eclectic background that all kind of leads towards the Modulate path. So I guess I'll start with my undergraduate years, which is when I met Carter, who would eventually become my co-founder at Modulate. So he and I were both undergraduates at MIT together. And I was walking down the hall one day and noticed this fellow working at an interesting looking physics problem at one of the whiteboards. And being, you know, the, the classic physics guy, I used all the social Social skills in my repertoire and stood hmm. awkwardly behind him while assessing what was going on on the whiteboard for several minutes. <laughs> and then I finally called out, hey, I think you're missing a minus sign here. <laughs> um, and so we became the best of friends. So Carter and I, you know, got, got to know each other really well over college. And by the time we were graduating, we had kind of already identified that we would want to build a company together. We found that we really synergized well in both being reasonably technical people, but engaging with problem solving from very different directions. The short version is Carter is depth while I'm breadth. Mm-hmm. So as we were going in, you know, looking into industry, I was sort of looking with an eye towards, hey, I want to become CEO of a successful startup one day. How should I develop the necessary skills to get there? Mm -hmm. So the first company that I worked at out of school was a hedge fund by the name of Bridgewater Associates, which Mm -hmm. most people who've heard of Bridgewater have heard of it because of its pretty unique culture. The founder, Ray Dahlia, was very intense about radical transparency, constant, you know, candor and feedback. It's a pretty intense environment. For me, it was a great learning opportunity. Mm -hmm. A, just in terms of coming right out of school, I was very lucky to be placed on a team with a bunch of very senior engineers and Mm learned very quickly from those folks, given the speed that feedback was flying there. But it was also just a very good case study for me on, you know, what it what it takes to have that distinctive a culture mm-hmm. and some of the good that comes from it as well as some of the not so good. Mm-hmm. After moving on from there, I ended up heading back to the Boston area, which is where I'm based today. And I was looking for an opportunity there. And I came across a fellow by the name of Paul English, who was Mm -hmm. one of the co-founders of Kayak.com. And Paul at the time was just starting his new venture in the travel space, where, you know, he was very excited about, I learned all these things the first time, and now we're going to make an even better app, and we're going to knock it out of the park. And to be honest, I'm not a huge traveler myself, but I was really energized by the idea of working with a serial entrepreneur like Paul and seeing him build a company from the ground up. Mm-hmm. So I joined that company, technically served as an engineer, but spent a lot of my time kind of working with Paul in terms of building some of the processes for the engineering team and thinking about how we were engaging with culture there. From there, I ended up kind of leaving Lola to start working on Modulate full time. Mm-hmm. So that kind of gets us to the Modulate days. So I'll sure. pause. Awesome. And so what does Modulate do? Now, obviously, there's a lot of very technical stuff you know, happening <laughs> behind the scenes. So without getting too, too into the weeds or giving away any of the secret sauce, just higher level, can you just discuss what does Modulate do? Yeah, so Modulate's mission statement is protect players online while enabling richer, more inclusive, more authentic interactions between people. 
the specific way that we do that today is we're focused on this tool ToxMod, which is a unique new kind of voice moderation system. So today, if you're playing one of your favorite games and someone is harassing you through voice chat, some platforms just say, we, we can't help at all. Otherwise, the best thing that the platforms might do is they say, hey, here's this often very archaic, complex reporting process where you're going to let us know that something has happened. Sometimes that doesn't even actually capture the audio clip itself, so they may not be able to do anything. Mm -hmm. It's often kind of a convoluted process to actually get that information over there. And overall, it just really takes you out of the experience as well. Not to mention that there's a lot of these kinds of harms that happen where players don't report whether that's just because they're so tired of having to deal with all this kind of harassment, mm -hmm. or in some cases, things like child grooming, mm -hmm. where the child doesn't know what's happening, so they, of course, can't be responsible for reporting it. So we work with game platforms to basically offer them a solution that can keep an eye across the voice ecosystem for when something that's you know, highly likely to be harmful could be happening. We'll analyze it in more detail when we notice those potential flags and ultimately supply that to the game studio with the information around, hey, just as you would get a player report from someone saying this harm is happening here, mm -hmm. we're kind of getting you the reports from the people who, for whatever reason, didn't report that harm directly, but it still is a real harm and making sure that the platforms can still protect those players too. Got it. And then... You know, jumping around a little bit, but I promise it will tie in. You know, I usually ask people if they are gamers. So are you a gamer today? I would say yes, but I would also say, how do you mean gamer, right? Like, I'm I'm a big fan of playing games with friends as mm -hmm. a social activity. Growing up, my parents definitely had a lot of concerns about the safety of online mm -hmm. games. So I grew up on single player Nintendo games. Mm -hmm. And I'll confess, I still have a place in my heart, very near and dear for some of the classics in that space. What has your experience been like with online gaming? And specifically, you know, sort of how early did you get into like online multiplayer gaming where voice chat is enabled? So the first real time I myself got deep into that space was right after graduating from college, actually, mm -hmm. where Carter, myself, and my girlfriend at the time, now wife, the three of us were very close in college and we wanted to stay in touch. And Carter was across the country. Mm -hmm. My wife was up in a, in a different state, a little bit more to the north. And so we wanted to have an opportunity to be socializing with each other. Mm -hmm. And Carter requested, hey, why don't we all meet up in an MMO and you know have that opportunity to be playing something, having the shared experience and chatting with each other. So we played a couple of different MMOs. I um, spent a little bit of time in World of Warcraft, which is the most recognizable one. Mm -hmm. I'm terrible, <laughs> utterly terrible at the actual kind of combat elements of this game, mm -hmm. mostly because I, I think I'm used to kind of being rewarded for just charging head on into the monster. Mm -hmm. And when I choose the rogue class or the magician class, and then I try and go, you know, beat the monster down with my staff, I'm not exactly playing the game as intended. So I, I've definitely still been trying to build up the experience, but we did a couple of times, you know, try and test out, hey, what happens if we go join one of these larger mm -hmm. guilds for a mission and kind of have that experience in the wider group? I'm, you know... I, I can say I was lucky in that, especially being among the more incompetent people in the group. Yeah. I, 
I, I probably was setting myself up for some hazing that I, I just happened not to experience too mm -hmm. heavily. Even there, there was some kind of stark just recognition of when you've got a group of 30, 40 people playing games together, even if it's not directed at you, it's just some of what you hear people saying mm -hmm. is I didn't really want to be subjected to that right now. Yeah. That's kind of part of the experience I wanted to have. But I mean, for, for me, I think a lot of where I'm coming at this problem too is just frankly from from a philosophical place just like the mm -hmm. the internet has so much promise for us about this way to have these deeper relationships and it's just i i know i can't really convey it in the most powerful emotional way but it's mm -hmm. just very fundamentally frustrating to me to see that the tools are there it could be this magnificent majestic thing mm -hmm. and we just haven't done it yet and I know there's so many people out there who would so tremendously benefit, who already do, frankly, from the these online spaces and the ability to build communities there. But the, the ability to do so in some modicum of safety, where you could actually have, you know, trust that people aren't trying to manipulate you or aren't trying to kind of beat you down as part of that experience, that would just be be so revolutionary in the ways that we're able to kind of build these connections with each other. Mm -hmm. For those out there who don't have as much context, just as to how big of a problem this is, right? So I just looked up a quick, a couple of quick stats. So according to one source, 68% of gamers have experienced what they call severe harassment. You know, so this is like sustained harassment or stalking, you know, something like that. And then 81% have claimed that they've experienced some form of harassment altogether. You know, my personal opinion is that number actually probably understates it in almost any sort of lobby you enter where there's like 20 people or more, you know, you're going to hear some sort of nonsense, you know, that probably shouldn't be there. Right. So this is a problem that faces almost anyone who plays any online games. You know, and as you know, of course, the population of gamers is just massive now, you know, it's estimated north of 3 billion people, you know, most people at some point will be exposed to some sort of online game. You know, you mentioned earlier, just, you know, some of the challenges of identifying different types of abuse, right? So something like child grooming, for example. And so as we see these platforms like Roblox and some of these other platforms that are enabling gaming for younger users, what are some of the sort of unique moderation challenges that you see in regards to just protecting younger users, right? Like, you know, to your point, when we were younger, you know, I think sort of more our generation when we were kids, you know, people basically said, never talk to strangers online, you know, it's dangerous, whatever, whatever. Now we're at a point where it's becoming more normal for younger folks even to be communicating online. So how do you think about this challenge? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, we, we need to protect everyone. Mm -hmm. I think what's what's most kind of notable in terms of children is a again they're they're less likely potentially to have the tools to protect themselves and I I don't like that so much mostly because I don't want anyone to have to protect themselves mm -hmm. right I want us all to just be able to go and have a good time and not have to worry about it so I don't like putting that burden on any players even adult ones but it certainly is that much more urgent that mm -hmm. we make sure that the kids who have no real other recourse are being protected I think the biggest thing that's kind of interesting there is just thinking about what 
shape should these online spaces take mm -hmm. if they're kind of marketing themselves towards kids or otherwise, right? In the real world, there's almost no situation where we allow people to talk in these toxic mm -hmm. ways. But yeah. if for some reason we were saying, hey, sometimes that's okay, but someone who really wants to go off on a toxic rant mm -hmm. shows up at a school playground and just starts <laughs> shouting from there, I think we'd all agree, hey, there, that, that sure as heck isn't the place yeah. for you to do that, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe if there's a place that specifically is kind of carved off and say, hey, if people really want to have these big debates about all these really extreme topics, then, you know, but enter this space with warning and with yeah. caution and kids shouldn't be going in here because we know that it's going to be a lot. But if people want to opt in, then they can. And that's really the thing that we're trying to be able to cultivate for online spaces is working with these different platforms to say, hey, if you are trying to be really child friendly, you might care quite a bit about adult language, period. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're a rated M game that specifically is designed to be meant for older audiences. Now you might still care about the fact that there almost inevitably will be kids showing up mm -hmm. on your platform. You should still be taking care of those kids when they show up, whether that's to guide them off the platform to something more age appropriate, or at least make sure that they have a little bit more walled kind of defenses around them. But you might say, hey, look, this is a rated M game. If someone wants to use the F word while they're celebrating a success, fine. Mm -hmm. As long as you're not being antagonistic towards another individual here, we're actually more, more lenient. And so I think the, the big kind of unique aspects, it's not so much strictly unique as it is giving these platforms the tools to flexibly define what they want Toxmod to catch and map that to their own code of conduct. And then you know, wh where we can try to provide education back to these studios around, hey, if you are inviting kids onto your platform, here's some extra risks mm -hmm. that your code of conduct should take into account that maybe someone with a more adult-oriented M-rated game just may be, you know, less less sort of necessary to focus on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you bring up a good point, and obviously this isn't your or Modulate's area of expertise necessarily, though I'm sure just given it's in the realm of moderation, it's something you, you've thought of, right? So we've had these game ratings forever, right? Like rated M is a certain age, rated T, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if this was your experience. I certainly, as a young kid, was playing graded M games probably from the time I was like 10 or 12 or something like that. So, you know, while they are important guidelines, you know, frankly, in practice, there are just, you know, tons and tons of ways around them. So one, uh, I'm just curious to hear your opinion on this. What do you think about the idea of making these game ratings more effective and, and actually an effective gate to entering the games? And then in certain countries, we've seen things like, KYC, you know, know your customer or in layman terms, you know, verification of your identity of those sorts of things to enter games. What do you think about those methods as well? And do you think that is something that is even feasible to happen in the US? Yeah. I, so, so first off, you asked about like, should these ratings be used as gates yeah and i i think the answer there is those are two separate things mm -hmm. ratings are fundamentally about providing knowledge mm -hmm. to the public about what this space is like you know 
we inform the public that, hey, if you go to a rowdy bar on football night, <laughs> you're probably going to have a certain experience. Everyone yeah. kind of has that knowledge, but mm -hmm. there's also a bouncer at the bar, mm -hmm. right? Those, those are two separate things. So I think if you want to say, hey, I want to gate to, you know, not permit certain people into this space because I want to be able to, you know, allow people to let a little bit more loose or something like that, that's fine. Mm -hmm. That shouldn't be part of the rating system, though. That should be a separate thing. The rating mm -hmm. system should be for those of you who are allowed to come in, what information might you want to know mm -hmm. about the kind of experience you're about to sign up for? And there, I think, you know, a lot of the game studios we've talked to have brought up this specific deficiency in the current mm -hmm. game rating system of rated E for everyone, <laughs> online interactions not rated. Right, right, right. Little, you know, secret text that... <laughs> but very important text. Exactly. <laughs> and so for, for us, that's actually something that we're really excited about. And we know mm -hmm. that we're still relatively new in the space. We need to build trust and credibility with the players first. Mm -hmm. But we think that there's absolutely room for a player like Modulate to start coming out and being able to offer, hey, you know, we've really looked at a lot of different games across this wider ecosystem. We know what good looks like. We can mm -hmm. be able to provide real transparency to players about that. And, you know, if one of these big studios says, hey, we promise our game's not toxic now, mm -hmm. who on earth is going to believe them? But if right. we as an independent third party can say, hey, look, we've been working with this studio for a year. When we first came in, maybe they would have had, you know, a C plus rating. Today, they're actually at an A minus rating and mm -hmm. we're trending very steadily towards an A. You know, that's going to require the platforms to be comfortable acknowledging a little bit of weakness there. But if they can, I think they'll see that reciprocated from players who really appreciate the trust the platform is showing and in turn are, are very interested in coming and trying out that experience where it is, you know, actually materially less toxic. And I mm -hmm. think that's going to drive, especially, you know, sorry to keep ranting sure. here, but with COVID, We've had so many new demographics mm -hmm. get exposed to games and who are asking themselves, you know, where should I kind of make my home in this online space? And the more that these platforms can really signal to these folks who, especially as outsiders, one of the few things everyone knows is that gaming is toxic. Mm -hmm. so if, there, if there's a way that we can really credibly signal to these new folks who are looking for that space that, hey, here are the games that are really taking it seriously, that are really going to actually make this a pleasant experience for you. I think there's enormous amounts of, you know, frankly, money to be made there as well as mm -hmm. good to be done. So I think that the platforms would kind of be silly for not jumping on that opportunity where it presents itself. Mm -hmm. And then on the KYC side of things, do you think there's a world where this, you know, you have to verify your real identity to play this game? Do you think that's something that's going to catch on broadly or just in relatively limited use cases? Yeah, I, I'm definitely not an expert to, to be mm -hmm. able to offer too strong of an opinion there. Yeah. Certainly, you know, the U.S. as well as the broader regulatory space where I see the attention being focused is just put more of a duty of care on the platforms mm -hmm. in the first place more holistically and be more respectful of privacy. And that to me sounds probably not like ask for specific personal information of each person that comes <laughs> on the platform, sure. but it kind of depends on how the regulations are written. If, it, mm -hmm. if it's written a little bit too eagerly on protect kids, but everyone else can kind of just fend for themselves, maybe the platform's 
decide defensively, hey, we need to just prevent kids from being here so that we're not beholden to these extreme restrictions. Mm -hmm. I hope that's not the case. I think we'd all lose a lot if that's kind of where the platforms land. But as for what they're actually thinking and, you know, the, the relative effectiveness of some of those ID systems, I can't say too much to that other than just, you know, the standard cybersecurity aphorism of everything can be broken given mm -hmm. enough dedication. And so no, no one should rely too heavily on their belief that they've found a foolproof way to know exactly who's on their platform where. Right. And so, you, you know, you mentioned the online interaction, not rated thing, and maybe this is a little bit of science fiction and maybe this is actually the future and where modulate is going to take us. But is there actually a possibility that in the future, some of these online interactions could be rated? And what I mean by that is, could a moderation platform moderate effectively enough such that for a T-rated game, for example, only certain folks who have like a history of a certain level of appropriate interactions are allowed. And then for an M-rated game, you know, you can open it up for people to speak, you know, more freely, so to speak. I think the answer is yes, we could see a future where online interactions are rated, but probably not just as coarsely mm -hmm. or that that maybe has a negative connotation but i just mean sort of broadly as yeah. we see in the in the baseline games right what what would be much more ideal would be me you anyone else going into an online game being mm -hmm. able to say here's the kind of experience that i like to have one is that within the window of what's possible on your platform mm -hmm. and then two please match me with people assuming it is within the window that enable me to have that experience if people want to have, you know, opportunities to do friendly trash talk with their friends, I think one of the really cool things about Toxmod is we can actually notice that. We can actually sort of differentiate between, hey, this could have been an offensive thing, mm -hmm. but everyone's clearly laughing, having a good time. You all have a history together. Like, clearly, this is not actually a problem right. versus someone who is actively being adversarial. And so I, I think the right answer is not to say this is an M-rated online experience, mm -hmm. but rather to say, here are some tools for people to express themselves. It will always be a window. Sometimes it'll be broader. Sometimes it'll be narrower, but there mm -hmm. will always be some space for people to talk about things like, do you want friendly trash talk? Even just do you want, like, you, you might ask, is this a game thing? But if these online games are becoming that, whichever theory you ascribe to, the third space, the fourth yeah. space, the fifth space, <laughs> where, wherever people are going to have mm -hmm. these conversations. Sometimes people want to have, you know, deep philosophical conversations about identity. Sometimes other people mm -hmm. find those conversations really scary yeah. for very valid reasons. And, you know, there, so it's more than just trash talk. There's a lot of different kinds of preferences people can have where it's not... I want to objectively be allowed to do horrible stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just, hey, I have different tolerances yeah. for the kind of conversation that I prefer to have. Got it. Makes sense. And then you mentioned earlier, there's this perception, which I, I agree with the perception, right? That everyone knows gaming is toxic. But on the other hand, you know, I saw this interesting Unity study that said more than 90% of gamers want more moderation right so despite the fact everyone sort of knows gaming is toxic it does seem like gamers overwhelmingly want to remove the toxicity with that said there is actually a subset of gamers who 
love the toxic nature of the gaming culture, right? So there's always going to be this push and pull. And, you know, even if it's the large majority of folks who want more moderation, you know, some of the people who are the loudest are the ones that are like, you know, this is how gaming has been forever. Why should we change it? So how do you think of that sort of conflict, right? Like, ultimately, by moderating uh, gaming chat more, there is going to be a shift in the culture. Absolutely. And again, a big part of this is that we're trying to enable flexibility, Mm -hmm. both at the platform and ultimately, we'd like to be able to do at the player level so that people do have some choice in terms of the experience that they have. Our goal here is not to stifle creativity. It's Mm -hmm. not to take away the fun. It's not to prevent you from having authentic experiences. It's to prevent people from actively hurting each other Mm -hmm. and ruining each other's experiences. Now, can that be done coming at literally no cost? Unfortunately not. There will always be a trade-off simply in the fact that some harm, much of the harm in fact, isn't done on purpose. Mm -hmm. If it was as easy as let's find those few people that want to watch the world burn and (laughs) move them somewhere else, then this would all be a much simpler problem. But usually toxicity is actually emerging from someone who you know, learned the wrong kind of norms from others that they were playing with and are now applying it to a new community without realizing that that's not going to fly in that same space and not having the full cultural context of understanding why that would be offensive, especially combining that with, oh, they had a bad day, they're getting really frustrated, they have an outburst. There's a lot of different things that can cause people to get, uh, you know, hateful or or harass others Mm -hmm. online, not to mention fear of otherwise being harassed causes some people to kind of defensively and proactively, you know, harass the other. And Mm -hmm. so that there's a lot of stuff that in order for us to be able to intervene there, we need to be intervening on something that is not always explicitly chosen by players. And so there will have to be a little bit of that experience of, hey, like, I was just acting as I normally would. And we all know that it turns out, even though you had no ill intent, acting as you normally would, maybe 5% of the time was really hurting other people. And now we're saying, hey, that 5% of the time, you're actually going to run into a wall and have to change your behavior. Mm -hmm. And so you will experience that. For most people, though, it should be a very small personal experience. Mm -hmm. And they should also find that playing games is a heck of a lot more fun now. And of course, there, there will then be those few people who range between wanting to watch the world burn and just really (laughs) enjoying testing the limits. And it's not that they're horrible people. They just really like pushing the boundaries Mm -hmm. and going there. And if those people want their own space, I think they should be empowered to make their own space. No specific game is obligated to make that space for them. No specific bar is obligated to say, hey, if you really, really want to talk about a bunch of racist theories, here's the one racism room where everyone's allowed to go. Right? Some, some bars can just say, don't do that here. Yeah. But you can usually find a bar where if you want to have a conversation, as long as you're not actively, intentionally, you know, hurting someone or planning to hurt someone, there's usually room to debate stuff, even if it's stuff that that's, you know, beyond the pale for most folks. Mm-hmm. And so I think, again, there should be enough flexibility in this vast, vast online world we're all building for people to find spaces that they're happy with. 
but that should be done intentionally both on the platform side and the player side it shouldn't be that the platform discovers that accidentally they've become a haven for a bunch of people who have you know the these dark theories about the truth of race that should be a thing that the platform can explicitly decide do we want to make room for these people to you know have their conversations here as long as it's done in a way that is kept away from the people it would harm just to hear that conversation happening and like again give, giving freedom of choice to all involved but intentional enough choice that we can actually make design decisions and not have it all just kind of happen to us regardless of what we were hoping for mm-hmm. and i'm just just going to give a real quick disclaimer because this is obviously not a political podcast, but these next couple of questions that are, in my opinion, important to this whole moderation discussion may have some political implications, right? So just want to make it clear, this is not the intention, but you know, it's, it is a potential implication, right? And so there has been, especially in recent years, some reporting of certain gaming communities, you know, becoming more radical or being havens for, you know, radical thought. And if these mainstream gaming platforms are increasingly creating sections where you know this type of unfiltered speech can be had do you think there's any risk of this sort of accelerating you know radicalization or anything like that on these gaming platforms there's always a risk and i i don't say that flippantly mm-hmm. like there there's always a risk and one of the things that we we do with these platforms is we try to keep an eye on how are we seeing behavioral norms evolve after the deployment of toxmod as we're engaging more and are we recognizing that it somehow is exacerbating the problem in some of these ways that said i think there's also a danger to pushing things underground mm-hmm. in a way that genuinely good actors of which there are so many can't participate and the uh, again i i hear your you know call out on this is not a political mm-hmm. podcast i'll try and you know stop stop short of anything strictly political there but i i think there's a huge difference between someone you know a, a young adult who's just trying to learn more about psychology and you know developmental science who's asking aren't there differences between men and women you know, wouldn't I expect there to be differences between them and asking that question and being told you're not allowed to ask that question. And then they stumble into these dark corners. That's a good question. Let us tell you all this horrible (laughs) misinformation. Yeah. yeah. And of course, there's a lot of people who ask that question, not so innocently, right? right? right. Ask it with an agenda Mm -hmm. and it's hard to differentiate them. So I, I don't for a second blame anyone who wants to say not here. Mm -hmm. Don't do that here. This is a space without that. You should always have that right. But I think we as a society, as a culture, should want to have a few spaces Mm -hmm. that do permit the asking of that question, if only so that we can actually, you know, plead the proper case in those venues and make sure that the the actual sort of defense is being offered there so that the folks who do come across those questions innocently hear, you know, the the best answers that we actually have to offer Mm -hmm. and have an opportunity to kind of learn the justification for why that's such a dangerous question in the first place. But so the last one sort of on this sort of category, right? So there's this guy, Elon Musk, he's buying this big platform uh, called Twitter. 
And as part of this, you know, he's made some comments that people have interpreted one way or another. And this has sort of made this free speech versus moderation discussion in the forefront and more on, on people's minds, right? And yeah. so let's say, you know, Modulate becomes this massive success. You know, you're moderating voice communication for, you know, a billion plus gamers. And then Modulate becomes, you know, this like very, very mainstream platform. And then you have to ultimately tackle a lot of these questions. How do you think about just maintaining this sort of balance between moderating and protecting users and, you know, ultimately potentially inhibiting what some people would consider free speech in some ways? Yeah, I, I'm not going to go into the whole what is free speech yeah. thing. There, there's a billion other primers out there. Yeah. I also think it's a little bit like, yes, there's, there's free speech, the legal concept, mm-hmm. which is well-defined and restricted in certain ways. But we as a culture should be having a larger conversation about what should we actually be doing. So mm-hmm. I don't want to artificially restrict it there. Yeah. I, I think as many other people have said, I, I'm not inside Elon's head. I don't know <laughs> what he's thinking, but the the at least character of what he's been kind of portraying feels like the early 2000s vision of online mm-hmm. where communities were smaller, interactions took more time, had more friction involved. It was harder for a small number of bad actors to ruin everyone's day. Today, the landscape has fundamentally changed just saying let everyone do whatever they want just isn't an option yeah if you care about your users and Mm -hmm. care about the kind of harm that can come into them so at that point it's not a question of do you moderate it's a question of what do you moderate and how do you moderate and the Mm -hmm. answer there is you moderate harm not behavior that's really important right someone saying you know, various reclaimed slurs Mm -hmm. might look like an offensive behavior, but in the right community actually be really an empowering act. And so you you can't just ban people. You can't just moderate on behaviors. You have to moderate on has harm happened. Mm -hmm. How do you do it? Carefully and transparently. You tell your players what the expectations are, your users in the case of Twitter, and you're clear with them And I think it was Apex that during DICE, there was a great talk from Apex about, you know, when they actually informed players about here is the way in which your action violated the code of conduct, some like 80% of prior repeat offenders just stopped offending. (laughs) Like it's it's amazing. You'd think, oh, you know, doing the right thing should be obvious, but no, actually the rules are complicated Mm -hmm. and there's so many different cultures that have different standards. There is a lot of value in us just being transparent with people mm-hmm. and making sure that that if they're if they are misbehaving, it's intentional. And I think players again just have a track record of when when the platform shows that they respect the players, that they're trying. I think players are really willing to extend that trust back to the to the platform as well. And so, insofar as I have a recommendation for handling things on the Twitter side, it's a it's a heck of a problem they're t- biting off there. But I would say, make your decision about what kind of community Twitter is supposed to be. Build the tools that you need to to let people self select if you want people to be able to cultivate their own experience, and then be unapologetically and persistently transparent about this is what we've decided for it and 
do your best to make that accommodate as many of the kinds of conversations that you want for people. And again, build the best tooling that you can to let people navigate between the things that they want at different points in time. But don't put the problem of don't be harmed on your <laughs> It's your it's your responsibility. You're offering them a service. Right. You should be offering as part of that service that they can use it without, you know, extreme harm to themselves. Yeah. Okay. So in 2022, obviously you can't talk about video games without saying the word metaverse. So <laughs> so you know, as the metaverse, you know, however the listener wants to define it, you know, continues to evolve. And these social and gaming spaces become more and more immersive, right? There are ultimately going to be new moderation challenges, right? So one example is like, if there's some sort of platform where you can like have your video on and there's like proximity chat or proximity video, whatever. And like, if there's a bad actor who's just doing something inappropriate in the camera and just goes near someone and they're exposed to that, obviously that's not good, right? And that's just one example. There's going to ultimately be more examples. I guess, how do you think about moderation evolving as there's going to be this ultimate cat and mouse game where the abusers are going to have more tools and get more creative, you know, even while the moderators are getting better. Yeah, so it, there, there's a bunch of interesting stuff there. One, I, I want points for saying metaverse before it was cool. Um, <laughs> but, you know, way, way back in the day, when we were starting to raise our, our original uh, fundraising deck had a whole slide devoted to Ready Player One. And let's talk about the future. And so no, like, th- th- this has been coming for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Is games becoming fundamentally more of a social venue, a location for people to go rather than a single experience. Mm-hmm. I think there's been a lot of great thought on this stuff. Um, in terms of how that impacts kind of the moderation arms race, there's a couple different elements of that. The first is I'll say the moderation arms race in most people's heads is understood in the context of text moderation. Mm. And I think text moderation is actually a bad example of that because in text moderation, some, some bad actor decides to type the N word mm-hmm. and they hit enter and it doesn't go through. Right. And then they say, let me replace the I with a one. Right. <laughs> and then they start trying some more creative stuff that I'm not going to say here because yeah. I don't want ideas but like they can do that iteration so quickly because Mm -hmm. they're getting instantaneous feedback on exactly kind of what what was and wasn't working Mm -hmm. and now generally speaking you know if they're iterating with that enough then they're going to get caught as kind of the bad actor in the case of voice moderation we're actually a little bit safer from that kind of Mm -hmm. iteration because even though, again, we're trying to be really transparent with players about what is it that we saw them doing, why are they getting punished? Just fundamentally for a whole host of different reasons, we're not literally live bleeping you, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're recognizing, hey, this bad behavior is happening, bring it to moderators, they engage in it, ultimately you, you do or don't get banned. So if a moderator sees that the you know transcription of what you were saying was you saying, you know, a bunch of words that sound kind of like the N-word, but the transcription thought they were something mm-hmm. else. And then also the N-word four times at the end of that <laughs> sentence. They can kind of guess, okay, you were trying yeah. to various ways of saying the N-word, but it turns out we still caught enough of them mm-hmm. to flag you in the first place. We can just listen to the audio to mm-hmm. notice clearly you were doing something actively adversarial to mm-hmm. moderation. And we can say, all right, you know, you're going to be banned for actively trying to break moderation and do something harmful. Mm-hmm. 
But also in doing that, we never kind of betrayed here was and wasn't the variance of how you could say this word that would slip through, right? Mm -hmm. It's not to mention the fact that we're not just looking at the words, we're looking at the emotion, we're looking at how others are responding to the conversation, we're looking at things like shouting and crying and all Mm -hmm. kinds of other. And so the ability to slip something through in a consistent way to recognize a gap in that intricate weave is much, much harder in something like voice moderation. And I would say is likely to be much, much harder in image and video moderation too. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the first part of my overly long answer. <laughs> but I, I think the other piece uh, is, you know, just does the metaverse cause a shift in how that arms race is happening? Mm-hmm. I, I would say not really. The metaverse opens up these new channels for us to interact with each other. And we mm-hmm. definitely need moderation to happen in each of those. But I, I don't think the way the arms race is conducted changes by virtue of something being a metaverse platform mm-hmm. versus being a game. The, the difference in my mind is either one of scale or one about kind of metaverse being more multi-purpose rather than just being entertainment it could be social it could be business it could be a lot of other stuff happening on that platform but it turns out people are people interacting with each other and what's racist while playing a game is probably also (laughs) racist in the workplace yeah so i i don't actually think kind of the changing dynamics of what sorts of interactions we have are going to overly drastically change things there other than you know maybe some of the stuff that we're permitting in games friendly trash talk as an example maybe people might just say hey that's not really acceptable in the workplace either Mm -hmm. but that starts to look a lot like the tools we've already built for child safety around just saying let's not use any adult language or something like that so i think we already have a lot of the necessary tools to extend in that direction if we need okay and then shifting gears you know modulate this year was named one of time's most influential companies, right? So congratulations on that. Um, And just for the listeners who might be less familiar, you know, some of the other companies that were on the list in general, companies like OpenSea, you know, Rec Room, OpenAI, these are companies having a a massive impact on the world. And then within your category specifically of innovators, you have companies like Moderna, SoFi, Allbirds, you know, so this is a very impressive list of companies. So congratulations. What what does this mean for you personally and for Modulate and sort of what you guys are are building? Yeah, I mean, th- thank you again. We were we were so honored to have received this this kind of recognition from time and this mm-hmm. opportunity to share more of what we're doing. And so I I don't want to come across as you know ungrateful when I say it doesn't change too much, mm-hmm. right? It, it's it's so heartwarming to see that recognition. We so greatly appreciate it. In terms of what we need to do, you know, we're we're not here for a pat on the back. And mm-hmm. cliche as it is to say, we're here to change the world and You're to right. do it for the better. And so that that mission hasn't changed. That's mm-hmm. still something we're pursuing. I think what what has changed is as part of that kind of recognition, starting to get the word out more about modulate and especially about voice moderation. And mm-hmm. I I, I frankly care more about the latter. I, I would love as a CEO and as a founder <laughs> to get my brand and my company right. successful, but more important than that by far is so many platforms and players today 
assume that the only options for voice moderation are give up or maybe just look at player reports. Mm -hmm. So many customers that we've actually, you know, ended up reaching out to, we, we've, we've explained to them what Toxmod does, and we've had to do it a couple of times because they don't believe it. They didn't realize <laughs> it was possible. And so, you know, as platforms, as players, even as regulators are making decisions about what should we be asking for as a, as a real version of this metaverse or whatever you want to call it that we're building, mm -hmm. it's so important for people to know you can actually ask for something good you can actually ask for something that actually protects your players and whether you think modulate are the right people to build that or not at the very least i think it's so important that people know they don't have to be satisfied at a thing that only catches the eight or so percent of harms that people actually are reporting to the platform that they can actually ask for more and so, you know, time is, you know, not necessarily so small of a piece, but still ultimately one of the puzzle pieces yeah. around us getting that message out that there, there really is something powerful that can be done. And we hope that, again, we, we hope to be able to help by being a provider of that service. But even if we're not, we hope that everyone just for their own sake and safety is aware that this is something reasonable to ask for. And it's something that platforms can deliver. And if they need help with that, we're more than happy to help them do so. Mm -hmm. You know, I completely agree. Cleaning up the perception of gamers, you know, as, as being toxic and just improving the online experience in general for gamers is just so important, right? And it's probably one of the additional key hurdles that in my opinion is needed before, you know, gaming takes sort of that next step. Obviously it's already very, very mainstream, right? But it, it can still go even further, right? And so just improving that experience in general can be so important and impactful. So sort of just as a concluding question, you know, obviously Modulate has accomplished a lot, but you know, I, I know obviously you, you know that there's a lot of work still to be done. And so going forward, what do you want your impact to be on the gaming industry? And do you think this moderation question will ever be solved? And if not completely solved, you know, do you think there's going to be a world in the near future where, you know, online gaming is just a much safer, much more enjoyable place for people? Moderation will never be solved in the sense of it will never be done static finished. Mm -hmm. There will always be, first of all, just evolution of how we interact with each other as humans, evolution of language and cultural norms. So anything that needs that that works in the moderation space needs to be a living and breathing thing mm -hmm. i also think as the ways that we interact with each other evolve the scale and capacity of our tools for defining spaces into kind of the kinds of communities that we want will need to change right again going back to to the elon musk question if mm -hmm. we look back at the early 2000s the tools that we needed to define what kind of conversations were meant to happen in a space were pretty simplistic in the sense of if if the conversation's not supposed to happen here, no one discovers the URL because there aren't good search tools. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we now in the future have a totally different way of how do we find communities to participate in, how do conversations get started up, our needs have changed. So I, I think that will always be alive. From, from my and Modulate's perspective, for me, the key word in our mission statement, as much as I think the word inclusive is incredibly important, mm -hmm. it's authentic. 
I think these things are interacting with each other, right? You can't have authentic interactions with someone if they don't feel that it's a safe space for them to actually be themselves as an individual and express themselves in that really rich way. And that, that requires inclusivity and safety. But I also think it probably requires more than simply inclusivity and mm -hmm. safety. And so as, as hard of a problem as make the internet safer <laughs> is that we've bit off for ourselves, we're actually shooting for even farther than that in trying to say, let's not just make the internet safer. It, and we shouldn't be bringing the internet to parity with the real world. The mm -hmm. real world is there for the real world <laughs> stuff. We should be making the internet just as good for its work as the real world is for its work. And mm -hmm. that means recognizing the strengths that it has in comparison to the physical world. And so what exactly does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I, we're, we're still kind of figuring it out. Maybe it means just really looking at the simple fact that Zoom fatigue still exists, mm -hmm. right? And the same thing exists in games. There mm -hmm. is a real difference in kind of the latency, the experience of having to sit in front of your screen. So maybe it's thinking about, are there tools that we can offer, whether to make the chats more efficient and reduce that kind of latency? It, maybe there's, you know, ways that we can educate people or provide new ways of jumping into these you know, chat experiences that help relieve that kind of tension that people are facing. Maybe there's tools that we can build to help people, you know, express themselves in more unique ways when they're jumping onto these online spaces. Maybe there's tools that we can build to help, you know, those of us who are trying to, to really understand people from different backgrounds, mm -hmm. different cultures, different experiences. Maybe there's tools we can build to foster better empathy. You know, mm -hmm. there's there's so much incredible potential for if I could step into a VR space in someone else's shoes and there's ways that could be done very badly and even mm -hmm. offensively, but there's also so much room for us all to learn and grow from each other. So I don't, I don't know exactly <laughs> what we do next, but that that's, that's the, you know, infinity years from the future <laughs> modulate is still going strong mission statement. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. That's a very, large and powerful vision so i'll definitely be following your progress and be reading for you along the way really appreciate it thanks for coming on mike yeah thank you again for having me it was a lot of fun